You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. You know, I'm, I'm super excited to um, preach this, this message. We are wrapped up our Grateful series last week and on the other side of Thanksgiving now. And so now, you know, we're knocking on the door of December and it's going to be Christmas time before we know it. And every, um, every year around this time, as Christians, we start to think about the birth of Jesus. That's what Christmas is, if you didn't know that. That's what we're celebrating, is uh, the birth of Jesus on Christmas. And we, we, you know, there's lots of names for God. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Bread of Life, Good Shepherd, a bunch of them. But around Christmas time, we start to think about a, a name for God that, that is... Um, you know, sort of seems to be uh, really talked about around Christmas, and that is the name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means God with us. So I want to read, um, uh, it's, it's not going to be on the screen, I didn't tell the guys about it, but I'm going to just read Matthew chapter 1, uh, a little, little snippet here. Uh, and Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, Matthew quotes a prophecy in Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the Bible looks right here like it kind of messed up a little bit. It's like, okay, what is it? Is it Jesus or Emmanuel? Because it says, the angel says, all right, you guys are going to name him Jesus. And then later it says, this was to fulfill the, prof- the prophecy where you're gonna, he's going to be called Emmanuel. So angel, come on, bro, get it right. It's confusing. Now Mary and Joseph are like, well, which is it? You know, is it, is it Jesus? Is it Emmanuel? But you have to read it closely. It says, the angel says to Mary and Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But then it says, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So who's they? Us, the people, God with us. And so that's what we see all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus would do these amazing miracles. He would quiet the sea with a word, and then the disciples would fall at his feet and say, surely this is Emmanuel. Surely this is God with us. And Jesus developed a reputation where the only explanation, no matter how ridiculous it sounded, where the only Plausible explanation was, surely this is Emmanuel, God with us. And that is the, the distinction between Christianity and every other world religion. It all hinges on that, that in the Christian faith, we celebrate God with us. And that is, that's it. That is the message, that God left heaven we call it the incarnation in big fancy theological terms. Be, like took on skin, became a human being, lived a perfect life among us. That is God with us. Every other world religion, it's like God above us. You know, in, in 
Islam, it's, it's Allah the merciful, and, and, and it's this big, you know, being and, and hope one day that we, you know, kneel at the right time and say the right prayers in the right way, and then they call him Allah the merciful, hoping one day when we die, it's going to be a good day, he won't have eaten any bad pizza, no indigestion, no heartburn, and he's going to say, yeah, you know what, yeah, you know, I guess I'll let you in. And it's this far-off God where you are trying to do your best to be as moral as you possibly can, and maybe there's an off chance that you're going to eke your way in there. Even Judaism, which Christianity is derived from Judaism, even in Judaism, they, they treat God, the God of the Bible, with incredible reverence. And if you look in, in Jewish literature, even literature written in, in modern-day English, they, they don't spell out the word Lord. They actually just do L-R-D. And they believe that the, the name Lord is too holy even to be written down. I love that. It's beautiful. There's a reverence, but it's still God above us. We believe that God is with us, that God himself came to earth and dwelt among us, God with us. John Wesley, the founder of the um, Methodist, the, uh, Methodist religion, like an amazing man of God, on his deathbed, his very last word, words, more than one word, words, very last words, well, and he had a bunch of people around him. He was a, a incredibly respected man of God, and and had all these people around as he um, as he breathed his last. And and the the people that were there recount that he mustered up all the strength he can as as his strength was leaving him, and um, and could could only muster one more sentence here on this earth. And he they say that he gathered himself, got all of the strength he could for one last sentence, and he said, "Best of all, is God with us," and he died. God with us. God with us. We believe God is with us. So I want you to come with me in your Bibles to John 17. We're going to read kind of the end of the story. You know, we're, we're talking about Emmanuel, and that was right before Jesus was going to be born. But I actually want to look at the end of the story, John 17, verses 1, 2, and 3. It's going to be on the screen uh, behind me. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Verse 3, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you, have, whom you have sent. Now this is eternal life that they know you. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God. So I want to talk this morning about this afternoon, this is still morning, eight more minutes, then it's afternoon. I want to talk about what, what does that mean that he is with us? What does that actually mean? What, practically in our lives. I want to look at three different things. I want to look at how he is with us. Um, I want to look at where he is with us and why he is with us. How is he with us? Point number one, how is he with us? And I want to leave you with just some practical considerations. You know, sometimes we, we talk about, you know, the nearness of God or the presence of God or, or being with God. And what does that actually mean? How do we facilitate that in our lives? And sometimes it's Sometimes it's, it's known and sometimes it's felt. Sometimes it's known, sometimes it's felt. Sometimes you just have to know in your mind that he is with you. There are, and listen, you know, I don't know what you, you think, maybe since Kate and I are the pastors, that Jesus himself makes us our lattes every morning and we commune with him and, and have eggs and, and talk and 
you know, it's, it doesn't work that way, okay? Just like you, I am seeking God every morning on my own, and sometimes he's silent. It's not every day that, that there's just radical floor-leveling encounters with God. But in those moments, you have to know in your mind that he is with you. You have to know the word of God. The Bible says that where two or more are gathered, there he is in our midst, so I'm one, Marco's two, there's two of us, and then we got more than, we got two or three, right? So according to the word of God, God is here in our midst. And maybe you're in here today and you just don't feel that, but that's okay. Everybody goes through these dry seasons, these periods where maybe God feels silent, but in those moments you have to know in your mind that he is with you. That's what will sustain you through those times, is actually knowing in your mind the word of God, the promises of God, that he is with us. God with us. Now, sometimes it's felt. Sometimes the God of the universe, and I, there's a passage in Job, I think it's Job 25. It's, it's my, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and it just talks about you know, the, the moon and the stars and how God is orchestrating the tides and everything and just how he's got all of it together. And then Job says, but these are just the fringes of who he is. This unbelievable creator God, infinitely bigger than anything we could ever hope or imagine, but there are moments where that God will infiltrate your humanity, will infiltrate your own physicality and make himself felt by you that you will, and that's called in, in theology terms, it's the presence of God or the manifest presence of God. I always thought it was really confusing, you know, because one of the key, you know, characteristics of God is, is that he is omnipresent. Omni meaning everywhere, present meaning present. God is everywhere, right? In the book of Colossians, it says that um, uh, in him all things hold together. That means that the, the molecules and atoms in this plexiglass pulpit are being held together by the presence of God. And if God were to decide to withdraw himself from this pulpit, it would cease to be. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? But then you, there's these Bible verses that say stuff like, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, I mean, if he's everywhere, everywhere I look, he should be there. So that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Or you hear, you know, pastors get up here and they say, man, I just, just feel the presence of God in here. Well, yeah, you do, because he's everywhere. But there's a difference between the presence of God and what theologians would call the manifest presence of God, where God, for whatever reason, decides to actually make himself manifest by your physicality, your five senses. You can hear him, feel him, taste him, smell him, see him. And the best way that I ever heard this described is, I, you know, I have a five-year-old son. His name is Zeke. And so imagine Zeke and I just walking down the sidewalk. I'm next to him, and, and Zeke has the the assurance that comes with walking next to his father. He knows that I'm there with him, right beside him, there to protect him. If anything comes along, I'm going to, you know, he's going to be safe. And so there's just this assurance that comes with being in my presence as his father. But then sometimes, not for any reason, not because he did anything particularly good or whatever, I will just scoop him up and I'll kiss his neck and just look at him in the face and, and he'll squeal and I'll just say, I love you, buddy. And I'll put him back down. And that is a manifestation of my love for him. That's the manifest presence of God where sometimes, not because you did anything right or because God is particularly impressed with something you did, but just because he loves you. 
Out of nowhere, he will just swoop down and scoop you up and just say, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that can happen a million different ways. Maybe it's in worship. Maybe you're just singing your heart out and you just know that you know that you know that the God of the universe just spoke to your heart. Maybe it's in creation. I just got back from, from Utah. I was in, uh, literally I was there, I left there at 4 p.m. I got in at 2.30 this morning. So I'm a little sleepy, drove 10 hours. But in Utah, in California, not really Nevada. I had to drive through Nevada. I didn't, God wasn't there so much, <laughs> unfortunately. But being in Utah and just seeing these amazing sheer cliffs with these reds and greens and whites, and, and I just was like, I encountered just the manifest presence of God. It can be anytime, anywhere, but God will just decide to make himself known to you, felt by you, and you'll know in those moments this truly is God with us. And in uh, July of this year, uh, it was a, a culmination of, of a lot of, um, a lot of uh, projects and work for me. And I was, um, we, on July 9th at Awaken Conference, we released a, an album, um, and I was the executive producer of that album, and it was amazing, super honored to be a part of it, but it was also a lot of work, and everything kind of culminated to that one day, getting everything squared away, all the details, getting everything released right, and da 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 and then, and then, you know, at Awaken Conference, Katie and I led that Friday night, and so we were up on stage, and then it just was like this, this whirlwind, and I was, if I was honest with you, I was just, I was spent. I was a little dry, just had been working, 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 and then finally Saturday morning, it just was like, and just had a minute where it was kind of behind me. And I just was, was there at Awaken Conference in the morning, kind of just, you know, kind of getting my bearings. And, I, and I've never done this before. But I wrote down on my phone in a note, and I have proof. It's still in my phone. Okay, it's time-stamped. Time-stamped. 10 a.m. on July. It would have been July 10th. And, I, and I've never done this before. And I wrote down on a note one little sentence. And it said, tell me it's not the end. It's just the beginning. And I just needed, I was, it was a moment of just, I needed reassurance. I needed reassurance from God that, I, that my efforts and the things that, that Katie and I are focusing on, I just was in, it was a moment of just needing the withness of God. So any of you that were, were there that uh, it would have been a Saturday morning know that Pastor Mike Maiden, this amazing man of God who operates in the prophetic, actually pulled all the campus pastors on stage and, and you know, gave Katie and I this amazing word, and it was like, I just, boogers coming out of my nose, I was crying, it was amazing, it was so powerful, but he actually didn't say that. He didn't say, it's not the end, it's just the beginning, but I didn't really care, I mean, it was amazing, it's Pastor Mike Maiden, like, just saying all these amazing things about Katie and I, and I'm just like, God loves me, can't believe he would, you know, show his favor upon me like that, I was so, I was floored. And happy as a clam, just I'm, I'm great. Feliz como un lombriz, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, so then, later that night, at about 11 p.m., I got a text message from someone who goes to San Marcos, who I talk to maybe once a year, and just said, hey, you know, great job on, on the project, super awesome, and then return, 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 and to think, this isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And it was just like a moment where the God of the universe leaned all the way down and whispered in my ear. And it was God with us. God with us. So my question for you is, do you put yourself in a position 
for God to be with you. And it sounds really basic, but do you actually just ask him questions that he can respond to? I think, you know, a religious spirit, and I mean religious in a bad way, would, would say, you know, who are you to ask God a question? How dare you? He's, he's God. You are a lowly, you are a worm. Like, you don't. But that's, go read your Bible. Go look at Gideon. God shows up to Gideon. Well, it wasn't God. It was an angel speaking. God speaking through an angel to Gideon said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor, I got all this amazing stuff for you to do. And Gideon's like, I don't believe you. If it really is you, I need a sign. I'm going to lay out this little blanket, and in the morning, if it's wet, I'll know it's you. And what did God do? God wasn't like, seriously? Going to go find me a new Gideon. God actually answered him and was like, if that's what you need, sure. And so the next morning, Gideon wakes up, and sure enough, the blanket's wet. But then Gideon says, wait a minute. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's just the morning dew. Can't fool me. I want you to do it again. But this time, I want to wake up, and the blanket be dry. And again, God wasn't like, I'm done. I'm moving on. God answered his question. And he wakes up, and blanket's dry, and the rest is history. John the Baptist the end of his life, had spent his entire life saying, this guy is the Messiah. This guy is the Son of God. This guy takes away the sins of the world. And then he's in prison at the end of his life, and he begins to doubt. And he sends his servants, and, and they go to Jesus and say, John wants to know, are you the one, or should we look for another? And Jesus didn't say, like, you know, I'm finding a new John. or what? He, he, he said, go tell John what you see and hear. And he gave him the evidence. He answered his doubts. And then actually, immediately after that, Jesus addresses the crowd and said, there is no one ever been born of woman greater than John the Baptist. Do you ask God questions that he can respond to? Do you create space for him to be with you? That's what it looks like for God with us. That's how he is with us us. Next, point two, where is he with us? Which is kind of a silly question because if he's with us, then clearly where he would be with us is wherever we are. Right? So he's with you wherever you are. But I wanted to bring this up because I think a lot of times that is hard for us to believe. And for a lot of us, myself included at times, we think that God is out there loving a future version of us. And once we get our junk figured out, and it's, like, it's almost like God is way up ahead of us, tapping his foot in disappointment, waiting for you to, to get everything right. But... The reality is God with us. That means wherever you are, he is with you. Whether you have completely train wrecked your life or not, wherever you find yourself on the scale of, of total disaster, and maybe, maybe the disaster is self-induced, maybe it's circumstantial, God is with you. Maybe you are on the mountaintop and blessing is dumping down like, like Pastor Mark and Pastor Natalie in the middle of this amazing harvest season, God is with you. Maybe things are falling apart. He is with you. God is not out ahead of you waiting on you to catch up. God is with you in the process wherever you find yourself. Most famous psalm that's ever been written, Psalm 23, 
Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. With me. And it's, we all wish that verse said, Yea, though you keep me from the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though you deliver me from the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say that. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The implication of that psalm is not that God is going to keep you from pain, not that you're not going to suffer at times, and not that there's not going to be things that you don't understand and things that that you wish were different. The promise is that he will be with you, and because of his withness, you will fear no evil. That's the promise. He is with you in your trouble. Psalm 91, this psalm that we clung to during 2020, during the height of of COVID-19, just talks about the protection of God from the pestilence and all these things. I think it's in in verse 15. It says, I witnesses, King David quoting God, and he says, I will be with you in trouble. Again, we wish that said, I will keep you from trouble. It doesn't say that. It says, I will be with you in trouble. And there's a story in, um, in Acts chapter 16 that I want to read. It's one of my favorite stories um, in the Bible because it has helped me personally so much. Um, and I'll set it up really quick and then we'll read it. It's going to be up on the screen. But the Apostle Paul is... Um, you know, he's kind of a big deal, wrote two-thirds of the letters of the New Testament, probably outside of Jesus, probably the most important figure in New Testament Christianity, Apostle Paul. And he knows that his mandate, his job, is to go plant churches. He has this, this anointing as an apostle, and he just knows, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to spread this good news. But this story, I love it because you see the humanity of Paul, because he actually doesn't know where he's going or what he's doing. And it just, he's got Timothy and Silas, and they're just kind of going out. So I want to read this, um, Acts 16, 16, starting in verse 6. I think it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and I should have brushed up on my geography. I'm pretty sure I'm doing this from memory. I think this is right. So they were, they started in Jerusalem. I'll do it this way. So we're all looking the same thing. And then they go north through Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. So it's not like they just walked like 45 minutes Okay? It's like this is weeks of walking and journeying with camels. They go all the way through central Turkey. And then it says in verse 6, um, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word there. And we actually don't really know what that means. Does it mean that they showed up and were given it the, you know, the old college try and nobody was receiving? Does it mean that maybe some government official was like for, forbade them, like you literally can't come in here? We don't know. It just says that the Holy Spirit would not let them there. And so then in uh, verse 7, it says, After they had come to Mycenae and they tried to go to Bithynia, the, the Holy Spirit would not permit them. So they're in from Jerusalem all the way through Turkey. They go all the way to the north coast of Turkey. Then they go east to Bithynia. And again, I, I'm doing this from memory. I think this is right. Um, and again, it says the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them there. I'm just thinking like Timothy and Silas are like, Paul, figure this out. We are wandering everywhere you're the leader, please figure out where we're supposed to go. Then it says in verse 8, so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Troas is the west coast of Turkey. So they got all the way from Jerusalem, all the way through Turkey, all the way over the coastline of Turkey, then all the way back to the west coast of Turkey. Then 
Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over. You had to actually sail west across, I think it's the Aegean Sea, to Macedonia, okay? Uh, Come over and help us. Verse 10, now after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I love this story because even Paul was just trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. Didn't really know exactly where to go. Didn't have some, you know, Paul, this is the Lord. Please go. It wasn't like that. He just knew the calling on his life was to spread the good news, to plant churches. Didn't know where to go. So he just went, just went somewhere. And guess what? God wasn't just in Macedonia, just like, hello. Everywhere that Paul went, the Holy Spirit would whisper whisper to him, this isn't the place. Whisper to him, this isn't the place, and would guide him and lead him and direct him. God is with you wherever you find yourself. He is with you. And if I can be honest and transparent with our church family, it's been a hard few months for Katie and I. Again, pastor life is not just like God brings us, feeds us grapes, and, you know, it just it's not like that. We're figuring it out just like you. And the past few months have been, been hard for us. In August, we uh, had a miscarriage, and it was really hard on, on both of us, especially Katie. And um, our daughter had a seizure, which was a, a whole thing. We sold our home, and, and we moved to a new place, which we moved to Coronado, which, I, you know, sounds like, you know, wow, paradise, amazing. And, and it is amazing, but it's also like we went from a 2,500-square-foot home to an 1,100-square-foot home, and that just comes with challenges. And, and leaving, we had the most amazing community in, in, the, in the neighborhood we left. Two of my best friends, Chris Brown and Sean Bennett, were my neighbors, and we hung out like every week. And in a new place, there was all this um, unrest in, in my professional life and things that I was just trying to figure out. And it was really, it was hard. It was really hard, if I was honest with you. And, and taking on the, this construction project and, and leading this campus. And, I f- and we found ourselves um, just feeling heavy. But the thing about God with us is the lens with which you experience those kinds of things changes. Without the understanding that God is with us, it would have been very easy for Katie and I to say, what is your problem? Leave us alone. Why are you letting this stuff happen to us? Why does it feel like just knock after knock after knock? Why does... But we, instead, because we know that God is with us, the filter is different. And we would look at each other and say, man, what is God preparing us for? There must be something so great that, that, that he, would need, he would see the need to build in us the character and the integrity to be able to handle these kinds of things. What, how exciting must the future be that we can't see yet? That God is, that's when you know God is with us. God with us. It changes the way that you perceive your trials. It changes the way that you perceive your pain because you know that he is with you. God with us us. Lastly, as we come to a close, why is he with us? Why? What is that? Why is that important, God, with us? Why did the God of the universe enter humanity in the form of Jesus Christ and walk among us? Why? And 
the answer is in John 17, which we read at the beginning of service. Now this is eternal life, verse three, John 17, three. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God. Listen, this is one of the biggest problems that people have with Christianity, and it's the exclusivity of the claim. And I, I can't apologize for it, and I'm gonna explain it here in just a second, but the reality is you cannot know God without Jesus Christ. You cannot know God without Jesus Christ. How could you? Imagine, this is not my, this is a, from a, an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote called, I think it's called The All-Seeing Eye, and he wrote it in response to Yuri Garganov, the very first cosmonaut, uh, going to space. And when he came back, he said, I've been to the heavens and I saw no God there. And it was at the very end of his life, and C.S. Lewis wrote an essay, and in it, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he gave an illustration. And the illustration is, um, imagine uh, we're all characters in a play, and let's just say it's Hamlet by William Shakespeare, okay? And how, how would I go to Hamlet and explain the nature of who William Shakespeare is? Hamlet cannot know William Shakespeare. It's impossible. He doesn't, William Shakespeare doesn't, he's not in the play. He's the creator of the play. He, he transcends the play. He's outside of the play. How can, and imagine like I go to Hamlet and, I, and he's like, okay, so you tell me about this guy, this, this thing named William Shakespeare. What is that? What does it mean? Is he like a character like us? And I would say, I mean, you know, kind of. I mean, we're, we're like him. We were sort of created by him, derived from him. We, we probably think a little bit like him, act a little bit like him. And it would be very difficult to explain the nature of who William Shakespeare is to Hamlet in the play Hamlet. And the only way, the only way would be if William Shakespeare wrote himself into the play as a character in Hamlet. And Hamlet could meet this character, William Shakespeare, and he would think like William Shakespeare, he would talk like William Shakespeare, he would behave like William Shakespeare, he would have the character of William Shakespeare. That's Emmanuel, God with us. God wrote himself into the play. God wrote himself into this in the form of Jesus Christ. Colossians says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You cannot know the nature and character of God without Jesus. Jesus is the self-disclosure of God in human form. He is the image of the invisible God. So I am a very big U2 fan. I love U2. I, I love U2. I love U2. But I love the band U2. And if you don't, you just don't get it. No offense. They are an amazing group that has influenced every modern rock band that exists. Nobody crams more soul into a vocal performance, a guitar, a bass guitar, and a drum kit than you two. Nobody, okay? I know a lot about Bono, okay? I know a lot about him. I know he's from Dublin. I know his real name is Paul David. I know that he's won 22 Grammys more than any other modern rock band. I know a lot about him. I've actually even been in the presence of Bono. 
Dallas, Texas, AT&T Stadium. Katie and I sat right in front of the sound booth. I picked those seats on purpose because I knew it'd be the apex of sonic glory. So that's where we stood and I was in the presence of Bono. And I even was moved so deeply. He, he sang the first verse of Amazing Grace, acapella. And then right as it ended, the edge came in with the guitar lick for Where the Streets Have No Name. And I just, I was undone. I wept. Katie was there. I cried. I've even been moved by the presence of Bono. But you know what? I don't know Bono. He doesn't know me. If you go up to Bono and say, hey, Mike Yeager said hi, he's going to say, so? It is possible to know a lot about God. It's possible to have been in God's presence. It's possible to have been moved deeply by the presence of God and to not know him. The only way to know God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the self-disclosure of God. God writing himself into the play as a character for us to know, to interact with. And so my question this morning as we come to a close is, do you know him? It's not the same as knowing about him or have, I mean, lots of people have stood at the beach and been overtaken by the majesty and the, the, the vastness and, and coming to terms with your own smallness and this massive universe and just seeing the waves crash over and over and over again, never sleeping, never stopping, and been moved to tears, you know, standing in Big Sur, California, or wherever. But that's not knowing him. That's being in his presence. That's being moved by his presence, just like I've been with Bono. But I don't know Bono. He doesn't know me. So my question for you this morning is, do you know him? Have you actually established a relationship with the God that made you through the mechanism of Jesus Christ? So I'd love it if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes and we're gonna close this up. And I, I think one of the most powerful stories in the account of Jesus is when Jesus is on the cross dying, there's two thieves next to him. And one of them says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And it's, you have to understand, this is a, you know, the Bible says that he was a thief, but he's also a thief under capital punishment. So it wasn't like he stole some Skittles from the 7-Eleven on the corner. Like this guy did some very, very bad things, probably badly maimed or murdered whoever he stole from. Not a good guy. And on the cross, he says, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the most amazing part of the story is that he, he died right then. Jesus said, yes, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then that man died. He didn't have a chance to get down off of the cross and go undo all of his bad and go to the people that he hurt and, and ask for forgiveness. He didn't have a chance to go stack up a bunch of good deeds to somehow outweigh his bad deeds. He didn't have a chance to go find a, a church and plug himself in and, and you know clean up his mess and start a connect group, be in a connect group, lead a connect group, be an usher. None of that. All he did 
was he acknowledged Jesus as God. He said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? It was just an acknowledgement of the fact that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And what was Jesus' response? Yes. That's it. Yes, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that today. Maybe you're in here and maybe you've been in church for a really long time. And Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation was in church a long time before he was actually a Christian. He was actually teaching in seminary. You can read the account of Martin Luther. He was teaching expositions on the book of Romans in seminary when he says he had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and was born again. He knew a lot about God, was even teaching the principles of God, but didn't know him. Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I wanna just walk you through that, a very, very simple prayer of just confession and belief, if that's you. And maybe you've never done this before, never walked with God, you know, never been a Christian, and you know that, that he is speaking to you right now, or maybe you grew up in church, been around church, been around God, know a lot about God, but maybe have never actually understood and digested that he is with you and made Jesus the Lord of your life. Or maybe you're in here today and you just feel far from God and you know that he's calling you back. And if that's you and you're in any one of those categories of people, I want to pray with you and for you. And so I'm going to ask you here in a second, I'm going to count to three and I want you to lift your hand so I know who I'm praying with. And this is just a, a, a physical um, sign of you acknowledging before God that yes, just like the thief said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You lifting your hand in a second when I count to three is just that, saying, Lord, will you accept me? And the answer is a resounding yes. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Awesome. See that hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand right there. Amazing. Awesome. So proud of you. Who else? Awesome. I see that hand right there, young lady in the red sweater. You can go ahead and put your hand down once I've seen it. Awesome. Anybody else need to make that? there in the back. I see you back by the cafe. You're amazing. Put your hand down. So proud of you. Anybody else need to make that decision today? So awesome. Well, hey, can we go ahead and hop to our feet and give a big round of applause for everybody that raised their hand, made that amazing decision? So, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. I think there's probably maybe six or seven or eight of you that raised your hand, and I'm going to pray with you, as I said I would. But actually, I want to do that personally. And it's going to be a little crazy because we're here in the lobby. But here in a second, what I'm going to ask you to do is do something really brave and actually make your way out of your seat and come down here and talk with me. And I'm going to hop down off this stage. I'm going to shake your hand, and I'm going to walk you through this very, very simple prayer. So if you're lifted your hand or you're sitting next to somebody that lifted their hand, will you just offer to walk them down here? Listen, the entire church is going to be shouting and cheering for you. You're not going to have to do it, but look, this guy's ready. Come on. This guy's amazing. Not even waiting. It's amazing. So proud of you, bro. But if that was you, I want you to go ahead and make your way down. Make your way down. Come on, church. We give a big round of applause. How amazing is that? Come on. Yes, this is, you know, it's a little cramped. When we get back in there, we'll have a lot more space. 
But I'm just uh, so proud of each and every one of you. I just want to tell you that um, the rest of your life is uh, about to be a lot better. Um, you know, I came into this church uh, about 10 years ago, big mess, and God has slowly uh, knit me back together and um, living a life that I just never could have dreamed of, just a wild adventure. I just want you to know that that's, God has no respecter of persons. There's nothing special about me or Katie or anybody else here at, at the church. We're just people who have said yes, just like you said yes to God. And I want you to know that, you know, a lot of people think of following God as like a, a zero-sum game, meaning, you know, in, in checkers is a zero-sum game. There's one winner, one loser, negative one, plus one, zero, right? That's a zero-sum game. And people think incorrectly that following God means you have to say no to all of your dreams, all the things that you want to see happen and all of it. It just means, you know, I've got to suffer for God and, and follow God and it's going to be terrible. He's going to send me to Madagascar and I'm going to, and maybe some people that are called to Madagascar, maybe you, maybe not. But I just want you to know that that's not the way it works. You will actually find that saying yes to God will unlock an adventure, a life you could have never dreamed of, that you're going to be a part of things, even dead dreams that, that you maybe have laid down years and years ago are going to come roaring back so amazing. So I'm so proud of you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. Just going to repeat after me. And when you follow God, you get God as your father, but you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So we're not going to just all listen to you while you all pray this. They're actually going to be screaming this prayer so you don't feel alone. They're going to be praying it loud and proud. So come on, everybody in the building, let's say, Dear Heavenly Father. Everybody in the building, come on, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me today I declare that you are with me, that my sins are forgiven, that you have a destiny for me, a legacy for me, an adventure for me. I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, give a big round of applause. Amazing. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.